Hello listeners and welcome back to the 24th TFA Daily World Cup podcast of our World Cup series. After today's episode, only two remain of the World Cup series, which is quite extraordinary considering it doesn't feel like that long ago since we started. Nonetheless, I am your host, Adam Scully, and we have another exciting episode for you all today. In yesterday's episode, we reviewed the four semi-final clash which took place between Argentina and Croatia as Lionel Messi and co. cruised to the World Cup final. We also discussed Croatia and whether Zlatko Dalic and his side were fortunate to get as far as they did, which is also a piece coming out on the TFA website from yours truly over the coming days, so keep an eye out for that one. However, in this one, we will be tactically reviewing the game which took place last night between reigning champions France and everyone's favourite underdogs, Morocco. France, of course, came away with a 2 0 victory, taking yet another massive step to reclaiming their title to become the fourth team since Brazil in 1962, I believe, to do so, although Valid Regregi's side did make it quite difficult for Didier Deschamps' men. To do so, I'm joined by TFA analyst Brian Marquez and Ronnie Dog Media's head of betting and affiliate Lucas Mondello as we look at the tactics from the game. Before we get into the tactics from the game, Lucas will be going through the latest odds on the betting market regarding each team. And so we ask that you make sure to gamble responsibly when taking the advice on board. And also make sure that you're over 18 and that you comply with the gambling regulations of your country. Just a quick one as well before we begin. We get quite a lot of daily listeners in this podcast, yet very few, if any of you, have given us a rating. If you're listening to this, could I kindly ask you to rate the podcast five stars? Would be very, very helpful. You are my knight in shining armor. Thank you. So now, without further ado, let's dive right into the analysis. Bryant, Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today to review the second semi-final which took place yesterday between title holders France and everyone's favourite underdogs, Morocco. Let's jump straight into things then. Lucas, the final is now set. It's Argentina and France, which is very, very tasty. Are France still the favourites then to, 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 uh, to retain their crown? Yeah, so I have a very small difference between the teams in the betting markets. You have odds for Victor of France uh, in the house of 2.78. You have matched your odds of, with the 3.06. And Argentina's victory with 2.87, which means it's it's a really um, small difference. Um, uh, before I check the odds for us to start here, I really anticipated bit of a bigger difference between the teams because you have a dependence on Argentina sides on, on Messi and even if you get that France you know uh, a big injury for Mbappé for example at minute one everyone expects them to be you know competitive regardless of any potential injury because that that was uh, how they performed so far and uh, it, they, it doesn't seem to scare them off in, in any way so there even may be some value to France at these odds because I see team play, you know, um, how can I put this? The teamwork being their strength, it usually helps you in the in the betting markets because there are more scenarios in which you could come, you know, out of the tournament as a winner compared with, you know, when you depend on just one player. I think you're right, though, as well, regarding the... Mbappe getting injured, you know, I, I would personally would still expect France to be competitive because last night I remember when Usman Dembele came off, I was quite surprised because he brought on Randall Kolo Moani and I was thinking to myself, it's only 1-0 If Mor- and Morocco were doing pretty well I mean, they were coming forward, they had numerous chances 
did their XG was one point six eight or six nine, which is pretty pretty. I mean, they probably should have scored at least once. And I was thinking, if Morocco score one more goal here, you go to extra time without some of your best players. He, are, he had already taken Giroud and Dembele off. Colin Moani comes on though and scores, so it's kind of like the the, the squad depth they have is 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 unbelievable. Um, I do want to say though, and I want to ask you because again, you, it's your professional opinion. You'd know way more than I would. Is it worth putting the bet on the, a final that's probably this close and and, and it's kind of just a, a you know I feel like the odds wouldn't be too great. Especially if you were to put a low number of or a low amount on a bet, because most people like uh, most people, just working class people, would maybe put a ten or twenty euro on, which I just feel like wouldn't be um, the returns wouldn't be overly fruitful. Well, this is the kind of game where you have some of the best uh, betting limits in the you know in all the world schedule. For all sports, so professionals can get easily, you know, hundreds, perhaps at least dozens of millions of euros of limits if they mm -hmm. want. In, in, in these situations, I would usually recommend to wait until the game begins because everyone's going to watch the game anyways. However, I, I quite like the odds for friends to, you know, in the draw no bet market, which is, um, it works with odds around 2.0. And uh, you only win if your team wins, and you only lose if your team lose. The draw, uh, you know, is refunded. So that may sound like an interesting bet for friends right now. But um, yeah, I, I don't see any other, you know, particular value in, in different markets like uh, over-under goals. Because these tends to be, you know, very, you know, tight games in which you know you, you don't really expect lots of goals because men marking is just insane for example I, I think you were a little too young but in the 2006 final when Italy won against France I remember 2006 was... but I was so young that the only thing I really remember from it was the infamous of course everyone knows what I'm going to say yeah Zidane headbutt <laughs> But it was, in my opinion, it was the most beautiful game I ever watched in terms of attention of the player. Not just because Italy won, but because of the attention of the players, mm -hmm. the way they were marking the adversaries. It was the most, you know, impressive, high quality game I ever saw. Some people claim that, you know, high quality games are the ones with six, seven, ten goals. But to me, quality football is about, you know, everyone paying attention and doing their job. And that game is, is worth watching on, I don't know, YouTube when you're on vacation or something like that. Because it was a master class that some will remember around another World Cup final. Mm -hmm. I, and you're right, the World Cups are notorious, the finals especially are notoriously, um, I don't want to say dull, but they are very uh, edgy because... Teams don't want to make the mistake, obviously, on the grand stage. You look at the 2014 final, for for instance, that went to extra time. Obviously, it was just 1-0, the same with the uh, 2010 World Cup final. It was just a 1-0 win for Spain. So you're right, I wouldn't expect sparks to fly, you know, this weekend, but we will be previewing that game tomorrow. Just before we move on to the tactics from the match, Lucas, Morocco are unfortunately out of the World Cup now. Well, they're not quite out yet, but they're, they can't progress any further, I think it's fair to say. They are in the third place playoff though with Croatia. Given the 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 balance of 
when you weigh up kind of both sides and their performances at the World Cup, in my eyes, Morocco would be the favourites. But obviously, I want to know about what the betting market believes in this game. I believe the market is a little presumptuous right now because you have, you know, odds that reflect that uh, assumption that Croatia would want this game as much as Morocco. And and the problem with that is, you know, you have to analyze the history of both teams. Croatia now has had this third place in 1998 and was runners-up in 2018. So one should question, do they really want to win this game as much of, you know, as Morocco? And my guess is no, especially as they had such, you know, a tiring journey towards this final with, you know, incredible extra time battles. And, yeah. you know, Modric, for example, should be absolutely exhausted so these games are more like for the books of history. And I I think Morocco wants to make history just like Turkey made in, in 20, um, you know, 02 when Brazil won in, in Asia. And um, it, it would matter to them. And these games are a nightmare for professional bettors because when you make analysis for these, you know, institutions, one of the most important things is to measure motivation. Be, even before you analyze, you know, injuries and suspensions, news and who's going to be fielded in the lineup, you might as well ask who wants to win more this game. And here, I think it's a clear situation where Morocco may want to win a lot more. And you have odds like uh, like it was the final. So I think it may be wrong. There may be some value with Morocco here with their victory is paying 3.04 in in the one extreme markets and uh, that's not really realistic in my opinion mm-hmm. Brian Lucas touched on a point there about injuries um and I do want to discuss that on the podcast before we get into the ins and outs of the actual match I watched the game yesterday on Radio Telefisheren in Ireland which is the dominant um TV station in the country after the match instead of praising Morocco for how incredible they've done at the World Cup. They kind of started their analysis by talking about the, you know, bringing Aguerd in and obviously he had to drop out and then Roman Saiz as well. And of course he, he came off too. And he was stretchered off against Portugal, I believe too, which was very dangerous. The players were wrapped up in cotton wool, essentially. Um, Sofian Amrabat was the same. I think it was against Portugal in the last game. He was severely... Um, wrapped up and he was you know given painkillers to to null the pain obviously is it is it i suppose you know is it dangerous for one well i know it's dangerous but is it you know irresponsible i think is a better word to use by by morocco and the and the you know the physios the doctors the, the even the coaching staff and regragi himself and the players themselves I think it's what we have been talking about in the podcast, like since the first day, it's it's the World Cup. I, I think it's because of that, because when you see players like Hakim Ziyech defending at a real high intensity, and then at club level, you don't see that, that he plays like that in the defensive phase. You just have to, to think about Wow, it's a real different context because players really feel their national team like other thing, like the most precious thing they have. 
have been playing for and, and, and they have to be like that when you play for for your national team in my opinion but it, it's obviously very dangerous you could you could end a player career by not because he's going to play and, and then he's going to get injured and he recovers in two three weeks that's fine but the way they are playing at a high intensity injured that could be like year by year that could hit them more in the way of a fitness and all that i think it was in the 2014 world cup that ronaldo um came to the world cup with a knee injury and and that year by year he's telling that that knee is really being very bad for him so it's the kind of decisions i think these are the decisions players made only for the world cup and I, I i do think it is as well just jumping in on that point that it's obviously it's a tough place to be for the manager because they will they want to win they of course they want to win but then you also have to take into consideration and i understand they don't really care but roman says is a product of, of besiktas now he gets paid by besiktas you know weekly to to play for them obviously you know, and and now he's probably after doing a lot more damage. Same with Aguirre at West Ham. They're probably after doing a lot more damage now, and I can't imagine the clubs will be overly happy with Morocco's FA for allowing their you know those two players to continue playing when they're going to have to go home now to their clubs and probably won't be able to play for a while. Yeah, exactly. That is that's the situation with international football that obviously club managers hate. And that is the injuries their players get, and then they are back to the clubs where they only they are the only team that pay them, not the national team. It's if Roman size plays for Morocco and he gets injured, like in at this moment, the Sheikh has has to play for the. I think yeah. the doctors and all that to recover him, and the and it's complicated, and it's like. Wow, I, I, it's like a loan of mm-hmm. a player. I loan the loan you this player, but take care of him, and, and in a World Cup, it's literally it's like giving someone a car, like a loan of a car, and then they crash it and bring it back to you, and you're like, well, I have to drive it now. I'll have to pay for everything, you know. Yeah, it is, and I get, I, I agree. I think it's um, it's a, it is a little irresponsible, but I do on the other side understand that. Morocco probably won't ever get this far again in a World Cup for a long time anyway and I can also understand the reasoning of wanting to have their best players on the pitch of course you know Regragi has no doesn't have to answer to Besiktas he just doesn't um, so it's a tough one you're right it is a tough one we will discuss the actual game though because of injuries Brian they had to change formation a little bit they went with a kind of a 3-4-3 5-4-1 and then it, it the goal went in rather early. How did the early goal forcefully change how Morocco basically had to play? Because they ended the game with 62% possession, which is bizarre. I couldn't believe it. When it, I understand that, obviously, it was probably the, the, the forced goal, which was the catalyst for that, but I was quite surprised. Yeah, and it, it, it was the kind of that France had to do. If they scored in the first minute and in the first half, that will be massive for them because that will force Morocco to have the ball and they haven't helped and they haven't got the ball throughout all the tournament. So France went into this game like 
I'm going to, you can take the ball off me and you can do whatever you want, but I know that you're going to be a little bit stressed because that is not the kind of attacks you do. You're not like positional and, and, and you don't know what to do with the ball when, when you're not running to a space. So France went with that and it really worked, but I really liked the game by Morocco and they exploit one of the weakness that I have seen from France that literally no team has done. And England did it um, two or three times during the game. I think it was John Stones. It was to Saka maybe dropping deep, I think, or whoever else uh, yeah, dropped deep. Yeah. yeah, and that space is because the front line just leaves space because Gris Grisman jumps mm -hmm. aggressively into the ball holder. And that space that he generated back from him, it's Osmani Dembele defending as a midfielder. Yeah, it's a strange so, setup, isn't it? Dembele becomes yeah. a central midfielder in a 4-3-3 three, three, and then you've Griezmann, Giroud and Mbappe, uh, Mbappe as kind of a weird narrow front three that is so permeable anything can get through it. Yeah, and it's like, it's rare because Griezmann then drop tips as a midfielder in possession and I also expect that Griezmann is a intense player defending maybe only at France but he, he he does it well and he was doing it well but then you see Dembele and that could be a weakness for for France and Morocco did it very well with Ounahi that is the people talk about Amrabat and obviously is they are very correct to talk about him but the way Onahi plays and he turns the game and he in the, in the way he's the threat carrying the ball forward it was massive how Amrabat and Onahi just break that middle and all that so it, it was a really good game by Morocco they even <laughs> with the ball surprised people doing overhead kicks and all that so <laughs> it, it was a, a really strange game but it was like a, a a game that France decided to fight and to score a goal and then I, I, I scored that goal and I'm going to defend like crazy because but to be fair I, to France they could have probably doubled their lead a few times I mean there was one occasion where Mbappe yeah and then Giroud followed up and he missed as well. But Mbappé probably yeah. should have squared it originally. They would have been 2-0 up and then that basically is kind of the end of the game. But yeah. It, 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 because of France didn't want to play the game. They they played the game really well and their plan was to success. Morocco didn't score a goal having mm -hmm. the ball at long term. And they were really dangerous going into the counter-attack. I, I think it was one of Giroud that hit the the post. It was an unbelievable strike and an unbelievable pass Real, yeah. to space. And I, that is really good because before this World Cup, we were playing a bit like this and we talk about this. Then at this World Cup, they have the ball and that type of a team that adapts mm -hmm. to the situation at this stage, at the international football it's really, really dangerous. And it's going to be a tough fight at the final because Argentina are the same. They like to adapt defending in a low block, high block, having the ball, not having the ball, being counter-attacking. And it could be really interesting. I think this is... Obviously, tomorrow we're going to preview it, but 
it's a good one to talk about how individuals are yeah. going to to i think this is it's going to be more an individual battle than a, a quality a team, yeah. superiority mm -hmm. battle more than a team battle yeah just touching on as well we'll talk about it tomorrow of course but you saying about france's front line and how it's quite easy to get through that's undoubtedly something that Argentina will try and exploit with players like Kevin or, or uh, Alexis McAllister, sorry, between the lines and Lionel Messi. Obviously, he'll drop deep and you'll, you know, if Otamendi or Martinez or Romero, whoever plays at the back, can play those passes through to Messi in those pockets of space. I really worry for France because he'll be able to turn, I mean, better than any player in the world, probably in history even, you know, and so it is quite dangerous. Lucas, I'll come to you then on the Golden Boot race. Mbappe didn't score in this match, um, you know, so. I needed Olivier Giroud, of course. I think Mbappe and Messi are both level now. Giroud is one behind. And Julian Alvarez has pulled himself into the race too. This is quite a... I mean, I don't think... I don't remember in history having such a tight golden boot race before between four players who are all going to be at the final. Talk to me about the odds then. Is Messi now the favourite considering... I know he's level with Mbappe, but I would back Messi to score more than Mbappe maybe in the final, just given the overall quality. Yeah, he's the favorite with, with average odds of uh, 1.8. Mbappé follows with odds of uh, 3.4 on average. The point here is you, you also have Giroud and uh, Alvarez with odds of 17 to 1. And I guess this is a reflection of how Argentina concentrates the action on Messi's feet, while France has a more balanced you know, teamwork mm -hmm. situation. Because if you had a similar situation with both players, you know, um, having similar odds, I, I suppose the odds would be similar. But you have, you know, to consider the way the teams engage when on the pitch. And uh, actually, considering the awards that will be, you know, given right now, you have a problem you know, in my opinion, with the Golden Ball and even the Golden Globe, because usually voting, you know, ends before the final. So it is more of a reflection of the semifinals than, the you know, the tournament itself. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have, you know, with the Golden Ball with odds of 1.2 for Messi to win and 5.5 for Mbappé to win, because it wasn't really his brightest uh, performance compared with with Messi in the semifinals. And even the Golden Glove, you have Bono of Morocco with 2.5, followed by Martinez with 2.75. So the tournament is not complete, and yet, you know, the votes... Uh, I know there is this theory that uh, people tend to focus a lot on the final and not the tournament, if you don't suspend voting before that. But in my opinion, it's stupid. I can find another word to... Because, I mean, the final is what goes into the history books is the most important thing. So, in a way, it should reflect this, I guess. I agree. But I also think that there probably is a bit of recency bias that when a player does really well in the final, you know, everything else before him doesn't matter. So, like... If, if if Mbappe has an incredible final, he scores a hat-trick and he'll win best player and that's okay. But for me then, people won't consider someone like a Sofian Amrabat who has just been, in my opinion, the best player throughout the tournament in level of, I think he's been on par in terms of level of importance for a side as Messi because without Amrabat in that team, just like Messi with Argentina, without him, they don't get that far in the tournament because they've been just genuinely that good. 
Um, so yeah, no, it, it, yeah. it's an it's an interesting point. You know, I, I just guess it's a bit misleading for batters. I mean, mm -hmm. recreational batters because not everyone knows this piece of information. So it's like, uh, I mean, you and I know this. Brian, of course, knows this, but uh, people may bet on these things without a clear idea that whatever Messi does in the final won't mm -hmm. affect his golden ball odds. So, I mean, I have a big, I won't mention the name here, but one of the biggest, you know, sports betting brands in the world right before me. And I don't see any mention to this thing. So it's like, and it's not just this website, anyone. I mean, perhaps a few websites will mention this, but the rule here is to assume that people just know. And I think this is wrong towards the customer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I agree. Brian, just before we, we, we wrap up, I do want to talk about Morocco again just quickly. In the second half, Regragi changed the shape of the team from a 5-4-1 to a 4-3-3, which is what they've used throughout the tournament. And again, they look pretty good. I mean, as I said to you, an XG overall of 1.68 or 6-9, they, they ended up not scoring, but they, I mean, they almost had a, an XG of 2. So they were really unfortunate with the, the, the chances they missed. I mean, there was that chance near the end, I believe, where maybe it was in the 80th minute or 85th minute, I think, where Jules Koundé kind of cleared it off the line I mean they had so many good chances they hit the post from a, 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 an overhead kick what what difference did the change of formation make then from Regragi to try and get back into the match I think the, the, the vital idea of changing this is because France was overloading their middle and their midfield was the key factor of Morocco being at this stage of the World Cup and with the obviously with a back five, I think they were looking to um, kind of overload the white spaces and block Mbappe T or play Kunde that kind of uh, two against one situations, but then they change to the way they have play and with one more midfielder and they have balance and they have control of of the obviously control of the ball because France wants it like that but they look threat they look threatening with with with, with the ball so I think Rigragi just knew that this back five was a bit unbalanced with only two midfielders it, it, it's very difficult to play a back five because you're basically all the time um, deleting a midfielder from the pitch. Defend with two, it's very difficult. It especially when you go so a goal down, then you need you need to push out and try and score. And you've you, your game plan has been set up to stop France scoring for the match, like they did against Portugal and Spain. Yeah. And then, of course, you go a goal down within minutes, and then all of a sudden that kind of goes out the window. Yeah, exactly. How how do you how do you progress through the middle with two midfielders when you need a goal? So I I think it was the the correct change of shape, and I don't I'm not going to say like oh Rick Raggi have to start with this because it it, it was a correct idea to yeah. overload the line and then to block this 
two against one with Mbappe and Theo, it's a World Cup and you wanted to think and think and think and think and then you decide and, and that's that, that what that is what we you go on to the game. It what it wasn't a mistake of this shape, the first goal. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was a lapse I, I think in defending it, and everything. I mean, yeah. the, the pass from Griezmann gets away from the center center back, and he, I, I think he really should have done better than he did. The ball, obviously, it's great by Griezmann. It's a great pass, great touch by Griezmann to get him behind. But I think yeah. if the center half cuts that out, then it's it's nil all still, and we're not even talking about this probably. Yeah, but I think France could score that goal if they were playing on a back four and all that. So mm-hmm. these kind of things like changing your shape at a semi-final at your first World Cup and all that, it's brave and it's very good to have coaches like they say to to themselves, I'm wrong and I'm going to change it and I'm going to try and win it at, with another plan in another way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, the change to a back three as well, I, I thought before the match was to kind of make up for the fact that Hakimi likes to get forward quite a lot and then my thought process was Hakimi likes to get forward quite a lot you've Mbappe on that side if if Morocco lose the ball then that space is free in a back four what Amrabat usually does is he comes across and covers there really well but you would also like him in the middle with, with Griezmann because you kind of need to keep Griezmann quiet because he's just been so good ultimately it didn't really matter they went to a back three then to kind of make up for that so if Hakimi goes forward you still have another centre back at the back didn't work again and, and, and unfortunately Morocco go home but this, the, the final is now set and it's looking tasty. Brian, Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today. To all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed too. And make sure to tune in tomorrow as we tactically preview the second place playoff between Croatia and Morocco, but also preview the one and only World Cup final, which takes place this Sunday in what is a mouthwatering fixture between the two best teams in the world. To vie over the right to call themselves the greatest side in world football. So check back in for that and please share the podcast too as it really helps us grow. Also, Please give the podcast a rating of five stars. It helps us in more ways than you know. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now.